Well, hello, it's Chris Stone here, the Virtual Agile Coach. You've joined me again on the Virtually Agile Podcast, and today I'm trying something brand new. It's just me, entirely alone. I will be just chaotically browsing through LinkedIn and sharing my thoughts, my, my beliefs, what I'm seeing, and potentially sharing some cool insights with you. So check it out, enjoy the show. And don't forget to like or subscribe to remain abreast of the latest episodes. Welcome back to the Virtually Agile podcast. I'm your host, Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile coach. And surprise, surprise, folks, it's just me today. Unfortunately, very last minute, someone who I had intended to have join me on the show couldn't make it. And the show must go on. So here I am. We're trying something new today. I'm in the mood for chaos, folks. And... What I have in mind is just to allow the mighty, fickle LinkedIn algorithm to govern what I talk about today. So you, you can't see what's happening here, but I am on LinkedIn and I'm just going to browse through and articulate what I see and discuss what's happening. First up, we have John Clapham. Uh, he was the host of Agile in the City, Bristol and Bath last week. He's made his way to... Uh, Agile on the beach down in the UK, down in uh, Cornwall. Weather's looking okay. This is a conference I have had on my agenda to attend for a while now. I believe a good friend of mine, Arta Margaroni, has just finished his signature talk there as well. So if anyone's there, go say hello to Arta. What else have we got? There is a post about good practices for Agile and a question. Who plays a more critical role in an Agile organization? Is it Scrum Masters? Or delivery managers? Ah, that's a very interesting question. I often believe these two roles are somewhat used interchangeably, particularly for companies that are on their journey with Agile. Uh, delivery manager, there's a great book uh, called Delivery Management, if you're not familiar with it, by uh, Johnny Williams. And uh, it's a widely misunderstood role I, th- I find or I have experienced. It seems to be a bit of an intersection between a project manager and a scrum master. And therefore, I I think there's a lot of a lot of usage of that term, particularly in um, heavily regulated environments. Uh, It's obviously stemmed from uh, GDS, uh, government government delivery methodologies. It's an interesting one. I'm not sure where I sit on the answer to that. Obviously, the, the standard agile coaching response is going to be, it depends. It depends on the, the situation that organization is particularly facing, where they are on their journey, and what they're trying to achieve. What else have I got? How can I track the performance of an agile team? Question by Frank Ray. His belief is that simply use the product backlog as it's intended. Use it to note down, consider, assess, prioritize, plan, and schedule. And if you're achieving uh, what you're trying to achieve on that product backlog over a period of time, then that will tell you how your team is performing. It will turbocharge using his language there. Tracking the performance of an agile team is always a very contentious one, isn't it? It seems to, or often leads us down the path of tracking productivity versus value or outcomes delivered. We often hear of teams being measured by how many story points they deliver and their velocity over time and comparisons being made between teams and that ever-driving push to get more, 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 more productivity 
harder, faster, etc. It's an interesting one. I I don't tend to I don't tend to actively force any sort of tracking on performance of teams. I I always encourage teams to be aware of their own data and what it's telling them. Uh, and the the use of that data is so helpful in their own pursuit of continuous improvement. How do you know if you're improving if you have nothing to measure that improvement against your your yeah your baseline? Where were you at a certain point in time? What was our cycle time hypothetically a month ago, and how are we tracking against that where we are today? Have those experiments that we've been trying made any impact there? So I, I very much encourage teams to be aware of their their data. It's very powerful. Tracking is the word here that probably sticks with me. Um, if you're using it to track, again, progress over time, fantastic. If you're using it as some sort of performance measure, um, suggesting a team needs to be better or compete with other teams, then be mindful of that. Michael Kusters, uh, again, someone who's recently appeared on the podcast talking about his uh, top structure. He queries, well, what happens if you don't track the organization or organizational or technical work on the backlog? You'll end up with multiple competing backlogs with conflicting priorities, uh, multiple competing topics, various stakeholder infights. We want this, we want that, and that can be a challenge. So, yeah, be mindful of that as well. Saeed Sadouk's talking about uh, a recent Agile gaming session. He's a, he's, a, he's a great person to follow if you want to bring a bit of fun to uh, the teams you work with, particularly using Miro. He had them recently doing a, a Tetris team battle inside Miro. Sounds cool. I'm intrigued by that. I'll have to take a, a bit of a further look. We have some... Oh, this is an interesting one. So Jürgen Apollo, writer of Management 3.0, creator of the, the Unfixed model. He has shared a an approach, a canvas you can use to achieving your goals. So Jürgen is currently writing a novel. Kudos to him. It's a tough job. Uh, and he's also going to run a further 2,500 kilometers this year. Jürgen's a big runner. When he and I were, were speaking at the Scan Agile conference in, uh, in Finland, we were having dinner together. It was a, a pre-conference meal with the, with the speakers and, the, and otherwise. He was chatting to me about how, how he, he always goes for these runs. It's, it's just built into his daily habits. Now, this, this visual looks very cool. I'm happy to share the, the link to it if anyone's interested. It's called the Behavior Change Dynamo. And it's a canvas-style approach you can use to map out what you'd like to achieve. It talks about uh, what when this happens, so a certain event, what time, place, or event acts as a, a prompt. So this is your, your trigger, your obvious triggers. And then the, the following question becomes, I commit to. So what's the outcome that I'm going to commit to? So, for example, uh, the one I, I often use for, for this sort of thing, when, uh, when we do a retrospective and we've identified some actions, there's your trigger, your obviously trigger, we've identified some actions, I or we, the team, commits to putting those actions somewhere very visible, making them uh, somewhere that we can see on a regular basis, perhaps putting them directly on the backlog so they're prioritized alongside other work, maybe adding them into your Slack channel as a... Or, you know, your communications channel is a regular reminder, an automated reminder saying, hey, how are we getting with those? Maybe even make, making your, your Zoom or Teams background so you can see those and are regularly exposed to them. 
his dynamo then talks about the desires you have, what 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 your internal drives to do this. So it builds on your your inherent motivation. And then what am I going to do? What's the small thing I'm going to do? And then it talks about how you're going to celebrate your success. So I get this and I will practice this. So it's an interesting model, something I might uh, look into using myself. I might give it a go, call an experiment, seeing if I can uh, get something to happen using this behavior change dynamo by Jürgen Apollo. Here's how to stop mapping OKRs. Richard Russell to the org chart. He's shared a carousel. Everyone loves a carousel on LinkedIn these days. This is called a five-step, no-nonsense approach to breaking down silos. So, number one, avoid silos and mapping OKRs to org charts because it creates a whole lot of problems. It creates a lack of alignment, poor communication, limited innovation, and less efficiency. The silo is powerful, but cross-functional OKRs are a great tool for leaders to use to break down the silos. But what you don't want to do is create a new structure that you map onto your OKRs instead. So number one, figure out your strategy. It all starts with your strategy. Then number two, what you want to get done this quarter towards that strategy. And he includes a pro tip. Writing them is easy when you know what you want to do. Okay. Number three, write these into an OKR form. That could be any OKR structure. And he encourages a maximum of three. I'm a fan of this. A maximum of three. Limit the number of OKRs you have. It's, it's, it's really unhelpful if you are asked by a senior leader to focus on 10 different things in parallel. It doesn't help anyone. So narrowing down to a maximum of three. I like that. It then talks about allocating owners. So uh, having someone be accountable for these. So allocate owners for each OKR. For example, a top level OKR could be at the C-suites of the owners. And then number five, ensuring OKR owners collaborate across functions to deliver them so we don't create new silos. Again, something I'm a firm believer in. Let's remove those silos. Let's create cross-collaboration and cross-pollination. And let's importantly build in the feedback loops that enable those to happen. So well, I guess I, the way I would build on this from Richard here is this, this number five, ensuring OKR owners collaborate to me, I'd be looking for something around the, the feedback loop in here, the, the minimum viable governance that enables those owners to collaborate intentionally to deliver them together. He finalizes this with everyone is different. So every leader sets their OKRs for their teams, which contain the strategy by the org chart. It may become clear that the org chart is not fit for purpose, so it's better to modify it to reflect, reflect how you want to execute your strategy but never let the org chart and silos constrain the strategy or send it off course. Interesting carousel. Uh, I know Richard talks a lot about OKR, so he may be one to follow if that's something that you're looking to learn more about. What have we got? We've got uh, more stuff. Uter Eckstein, uh, great, great person on the topic of sustainability and agile. I spent some time with Uter at the retrospective facilitators gathering in Czech Republic this year, Yutzer is thanking Jin Zhao for pointing out Tim Riley's quote, policy should protect the future from the past, not the past from the future. Very interesting. That's a good article that Yuta uh, points us towards on the topic of sustainability. 
for anyone interested, by the way, I hate to do a bit of a, a promo. I have just released the first chapter of my own book. It's on the topic of retrospectives, of course. And uh, it's been a bit of a mission, folks. I, I learned as I've been doing this that I have ADHD and been diagnosed with that. Got some medication. It, it's helping. But it explains so much about why I was struggling to get this book done. It's just this huge, large venture. And my brain craves the new all the time, which is actually why I'm quite enjoying recording this solo episode and allowing the the LinkedIn algorithm to govern what I speak about because I have no idea what's going to come next. And that's that makes it new and exciting. But if you would like to check out the first chapter of my book, it's called The Format Plays. It's all about uh, my, some of my favorite ways to facilitate or to hold a retrospective, the the, the templates and the, the methods you can do use to do so. There's there's everything in there from the lean coffee style retro, the psychological safety retro, the uh, there's a days since retro which talks about uh, the habitual behaviours that we that we have. There's the music or the the playlist to play. There's there's lots in there. I encourage you to take it out, take a check, uh, check it out. Sorry, it's on uh, on Amazon and Lean Pub. Next one will be about the facilitation plays. 10 psychological principles that will make you a better marketer okay this isn't isn't quite for the agile folks here but for anyone who's looking to build a bit of a bit of a brand and and even share storytell and uh articulate what you're doing this could be useful for you so 10 psychology principles start with social proof we, we see this all the time every time you are seeing a product these days in general it will include some form of testimonial a case study a quote from someone using that product. So we tend to buy when we see there is an example of others buying it too. The decoy effect. So again, you'll you'll see this all the time. Uh, it's often a pricing strategy. So what they'll do is they'll have three pricing options rather than two. And the, the first pricing option will be the cheapest one. The, the top pricing option will be the most expensive one, and then there'll be a middle one. And the middle one is the one that the, the marketer actually wants you to buy. But by presenting these, these options for you, uh, they, they steer you towards choosing that option. Scarcity. Again, we see this all the time. I imagine you've got in your inbox lots of messages like, hey, get access now, 40% off, limited time offer, or this offer ends tomorrow, buy today. So create the, the the illusion of scarcity that your product is either more valuable or you'll only benefit from this once so scarcity is really common anchoring so people uh, people base decisions on the first piece of information they see if you're running a sale for example clearly state the initial price and then next to it the sales price so we'll be anchored to that 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 first price rather than the other one uh, again, loss aversion, a bit a bit like that, that limited time offer, that scarcity. Don't miss out on this 40% offer. So we don't want to lose that opportunity. Color psychology, I'm awful at this because I'm very set in my ways with uh, my own brand and colors. Some of you have may, may have seen, I like red and black. And red isn't a great color for marketing, but you know what? It's okay. I'll I'll deal with perhaps a loss of sales as a consequence because red suggests passion and and danger and things like that whereas there are softer colors you will more commonly see in brands the law of least effort well we as humans will take the path of least resistance so how we can use this is in a checkout process make it as simple as possible an example of this is amazon's buy it now button 
That single buy it now button, I believe, by the way, came as a consequence of a hackathon. That buy it now button means that people will purchase far more than they used to. Because what it used to be is you'd scroll down to the bottom of a page, see a you know add to cart button, press add to cart, then you'd have to fill in more details. Whereas that buy it now button, a few seconds and the transaction is done. So if you can make a product easier to integrate, easier to interact with, all the better. Now, actually, I apply this law of least effort in the way I, not market, but the way I, I communicate on LinkedIn. And I call it time to value. So an example of this is, let's say someone's produced this really great bit of content and they've put it on LinkedIn or, or, or where, whatever you consume content from. They've put it out there and you read, you read it through it and then, and then you've got to click somewhere else to go and read the full article elsewhere. But you haven't given that person or you haven't been given enough information to want to click through. There's not been enough information because the time to value is longer. So if you include, for example, let, let's use this example, 10 psychology principles to make you a better marketer. This is a carousel. You can scroll through it. Your time to value is, is really short because every click next page, you're getting something useful with tangible examples. Perfect. I can immediately see how I can use this in my working life. Whereas if this was just 10 psychology principles, click here to view these on my blog, there's an extra click in place and therefore you're, you're less likely to do so. So the time to value is longer. I use this all the time. The paradox of choice. The more choices you present, the less likely someone is to, uh, to pick one. So if you've got a, a load of products somewhere, hundreds of the things, and you present that as an option, yeah, people might, might find it difficult. Whereas if you choose only six of them, that can be a, a great way of doing so. Choosing between six uh, is ideal. Not, not that as a number, but a smaller number is ideal. We've got urgency. When something's urgent, people are more likely to act. And again, this is, this is similar to some of the, the previous ones. You know, this starts at this time or eight hours left of you to buy the sale with the timer clicking down. That works too. And reciprocity. So if someone does something for you, you'll feel obliged to do something in return. So starting your customer's action with a gift, like a free giveaway, uh, an ebook, an audit or a guide or, or something like that, People will feel obliged to do something, maybe share your post as a consequence. I, I've been poor at this in the past. I would just essentially give all my stuff away for free. I still do 99% of that. Uh, I do gain a lot from that in terms of, I guess, goodwill from people. They are always willing to help me out as a consequence. Uh, so reciprocity. Interesting. Good, good post. Not a particularly agile focus, but I can directly see how many of those things could be useful for an agilist in telling a story about their work, what they do, and indeed creating great products. Here's an interesting visual. I've not actually seen this one before. So this is a, it's called Orca, the Organizational Root Cause Analysis Tool by Ralph Yoakum. And in it, it shares a Miro board called the Hidden Scrum Killer, Your Organizational Design. And I can't see the detail of this. There is a big picture of an orca right in the middle, a killer whale. It's got lots of visuals, lots of post-it notes everywhere. I am intrigued, and it does make me want to click more and learn a little bit about that. I believe, by the looks of it, they are running another improved session of this. It's a mural version. So, yeah, the scrum, hidden scrum killer, your own organizational design, could be it. Could be killing how you do scrum. Ralph Yoakum refreshing let's have a look oh 
Amir Pallad is talking about a 25% de- decrease in salary. Many years ago, a colleague of his decided to leave the company. About a month after a month, however, he returned to the first line manager begging for their job, job back because they didn't like the new one. And the first line manager, the person they approached, accepted them back, but only if they were being paid 25% less. And that colleague did accept the offer. So Amir's recommendation here is only quit your job once you've secured a next one and you are certain that it's for you. I guess this is a a tale of being wary. The grass is not always greener on the other side. If you leave your job, be very certain that you're going to. So I, I think this is quite predatory from the previous previous uh, manager that, that, that hired them back, offering them 25% less. I guess the person was desperate and I think they... They took advantage of that, so I'm, I'm not sure I'd, I'd do the same. If they were a good employee, welcome them back. Uh, you, know, you don't need to take advantage of their situation. That's uh, not a fan, not a fan. Scott Sievright is sharing a, a visual from Ed Morrison, moving from command and control to design and do. So one mistake that we humans make is that we think we have time when we don't. For the past 30 years, we've built with an industrial age logic grounded in linear thinking. We don't learn or adapt quickly in complex dynamic environments. And the Internet's changed everything. And there is a a visual here being shared around the complexity of problems. We know how is the command and control mindset versus the we don't know mindset. This uh, emergent design uh, wicked problems and teeming problems and various levels of complexity. There's a there's a two by two matrix, high uh, high complexity, low complexity, and high complexity of collaboration versus low complexity. And it shows the the, the four quadrants. In the top left, you've got expert problems. In the top, at the bottom left, you've got team problems. So easy things. These have low complexity of collaboration low complexity of problem in the top right you have wicked problems that have high complexity of collaboration and high complexity of problem so interesting visual moving you towards design and do discovery driven approaches to solutions and i like the the final note they've got here it's a never-ending process of experimentation such a firm believer in this notion to me everything is an experiment particularly when things change frequently and often. So consider things experiments. Be aware of your data. I was alluding to that earlier from a team perspective. Being aware of your data, putting in the feedback loops to periodically check how you're doing, design those experiments. I've got a couple of great uh, visuals you can use for that. The, The experiment canvas and the lean experiment canvas, an even simpler version. And what I like about these canvases is they help you and your teams co-create the path forwards, clearly understanding what the problem you're facing is, what are the intended outcomes or the outcomes you aspire towards, what are the uh, the data or what's the hypothesis, what's the data that's going to tell us where we're on the right track and what is the, uh, what's the duration of the trial, how long are we going to do this for and what are the next steps we're going to do to turn this or, or bring this experiment to life. So again, free template of mine on, on my website. Give that a, a look if you haven't used it before. can be a very great way of collaboratively designing and doing with those involved. Michael Lloyd, he is a very prolific poster. He uh, 
calls himself an agile thought provoker. Again, another previous guest on the show. He shares a post where he says, sometimes he feels like most people would rather be busy than effective. And he mentions it's always made visible when you describe what effectiveness looks like and people get defensive about it instead of curious. Now, we're all ineffective at some things we wish we aren't. And you remain ineffective when you're unwilling to accept that reality. True to Michael's uh, title there, that is a a thought-provoking topic. We are all ineffective at some things we wish we weren't. Yeah, we we all seek improvement in things. I uh, am very good at procrastinating, and I'm trying to work better on that. I'm always trying to improve upon that. But the awareness of yeah, an area you need improvement on can be very powerful. So something I do to avoid this or to avoid the, the lack of awareness about my problem areas is I, I, I regularly practice journaling. I note down how I'm feeling, how things have gone in the past week, what, what, how I've brought value in the past week, uh, what things have helped me in the direction of my goals and which, which things have taken me away from the direction of my goals. And I start to note, note down things I might look to try next to perhaps address some of these areas. If I've observed that something has been taking away from my goals, I can begin to query, why was that? And this is like a bit of a retrospective for one. So again, everyone is different. You will choose the, the frequency that works for you. I think this is a, a good way of uh, avoiding this lack of awareness about areas that you're not particularly effective in. We have a post about definition of done. So uh, this is a post by Chi Chong Hsia. If your scrum team is actively using their de- definition of done, if not, then the DOD Evo cycle might be a helpful te- technique. It's not a, to- not a technique I'm familiar with. And they believe that it can be something that can lead to more mature professional teams. So how do you know? There's a few questions par- uh, posed here. How do you know when your team is not actively using their definition of done? Well, to begin with, there isn't one. Or it was initially established but never revisited. This happens so often. A a definition of done is like this one and done document. Bit of a pun there. It's something that's created, forgotten about. Or you hear statements like, yeah, we've got a definition of done, but it's on a wiki page somewhere and, you know, no one knows where that is. Or even it's in place and next to the backlog, but the developers or the people in the team aren't holding each other accountable for following it. Again, something I, I commonly see as well definition done there but it's just it's just not followed so their technique the dod evo cycle is a simple one they believe that can help you manage it effectively it consists of three columns outside inside and owned outside are the activities that are outside the scrum team's influence inside are the things that are inside their influence and owned are the ones where they are actively uh, actively under their influence interesting and then they use a, there's a canvas you can use. It's uh, there's a free version of it on GitHub. And it looks like a Kanban board. So outside, inside, owned. This very much reminds me, uh, the outside, inside thing. It reminds me of the spheres of influence. I think uh, originally shared by, by Stephen Covey. And I know that Diana Larson and Esther Darby shared a, a an, an exercise around um, circles and soup, I think it's called, where you, you map things that are inside and outside of a team's control it's a really useful exercise i have i have seen to just get some clarity on where things are commonly i use this 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 sort of technique when it comes to the the end of a retrospective 
when there might be lots or there might there might be a number of repetitively escalated actions and one of the first things i often do is, is put a visual of these spheres of influence on a, on a whiteboard and say right where do these things sit are they are they inside our control are they in, inside our influence i.e can we speak to someone else in another team and, and they may be able to help with that or is it generally something we have nothing we can do about like you know government policy legislation you know can we get this new fancy tool approved that's going to take forever you could influence that but it might be something that's um going to take a long time and by doing that exercise it can be a great way to just visualize where things are but then i i love to just ask some follow-up questions some prompts how could we move this towards the center and the center being the the things that are inside our control what small steps would enable us to have more autonomy relating to this it can be a great one for leadership too if you do this exercise uh, across a whole company specify a a, a particular impediment i.e too many changing priorities and get you know lots and lots of people to mark where they believe that is and if so many of these people are saying well it's outside of control that's a great beacon to leadership to say hey we've got to do something here and then leadership saying, right, how can we support you moving this more inside your control can be a great question. Then you might look to design an experiment, again, using these campuses to, uh, to try and address that. So, yeah, interesting, interesting approach here. The definition of done, Evo cycle. Uh, I, do th- I do like its focus on maintaining a, a regularly viewed definition of done that is not just forgotten about. What else do we have? The Agile Ways of Working training welcomes Gunther Verheyen, who's going to be speaking at Scrum Day India. Good old, good old uh, Gunther, the uh, Scrum caretaker. Scrum Day India, for anyone wondering, 22nd of July, 2023. So about three weeks out. Another bit of a marketing tip for you. Remove powerless words from your copy. Words like try, would, might, could, or should make your your marketing content sound weak. So make them a bit more stronger. Those words do not have much power. Lean Coffee Belfast for anyone. 7th of July, they host these. Lean Coffee Belfast. Check that out. Hacking Your Brain. So there's a free webinar by Drawify on how human brains work. Register for free info. Uh, so Axel Van Quayle, I, I apologize if I've pronounced that horribly. Axel is the, the, the founder of Drawify, I think co-founder of Drawify. Free webinar on how the human brain works. I imagine there's a recording of that for anyone listening that's, that's, that's happened already. All right, we've got a great post here by Vibor Chandel. Uh, he produces a lot of contents on LinkedIn. Uh, very helpful for Scrum Masters in particular. But here is a post titled 12 Ignored Sources for Great User Story Ideas. And it's in a carousel format. So talking to customers, obviously, so obviously, but very often overlooked, I commonly talk about reducing the time frame between interacting with customers do that more often do that more frequently you'll remain anchored to their needs and you're more likely to build products that actually meet their needs that add value to them so speaking with customers gets you first-hand insights rather than you know repeated stories down the line and, and that being uh, conflated to something different 
they address their needs and you really understand their expectations. So do that more. Actually using the products, yeah. So using the product yourself from, from, a, from a user's perspective can help you better understand them. So get hands-on with the product that you're building. Uh, vision alignment, so working backwards from the vision can help you create stories that contribute to the, bit, to the bigger picture. So starting clearly anchored to the vision. A gr great way of doing this is, you know, on a periodic basis, take a clear look at the vision and then maybe start to craft sprint goals that might help you move towards that vision, clustering potential stories together related to achieving those goals. Competing uh, or competitors and market study. So what are they doing? Uh, even if they're completely different, can inspire fresh ideas. I hear a, a great hack is just to go and look at some of your, com your competitors uh, and review some of the feedback that they're getting on perhaps uh, an app store or otherwise and look at the negative feedback and, and then look at the negative feedback the things that that company is not doing well and then ensure that you're doing that fantastically on your own product and then sell that tell people about that uh, interacting with customer facing employees yeah so speaking with sales customer support people that are actually uh, working directly with customers who have that nuanced understanding of the pain points that can be very powerful actually observing end users so if you can get any sort of live watching or seeing what's happening with with users you can use that to draw insights how they're actually looking to the tool which buttons they're pressing which way they're using that service thinking quietly i address this in my book actually sometimes you need to think and and diverge and, and that can be a great way of, of coming up with with great things i get some of my best ideas when i'm out for a walk or when i'm just reflecting in silence so rather than just having this this loud dot, you know conversation chatting and chatting away just maybe pose a problem put a put a thought out there how could we make this product worse and then just allow people to just reflect in silence for 5 minutes before you converge back together so quiet can help technology shift awareness so new technologies can open up great opportunities so everything's ai these days but there's lots more technologies that are created every day and they can bring out great new user stories ones that make our lives easier make the customers lives easier and then of course reviewing and demos so showing your products with real users with real stakeholders and actually asking them the question you know use, using those opportunities as a way of building forward not just reflecting back so often these kind of demo sessions are just demoing the product rather than thinking about the future and co-creating the future with them so I, I often like and encourage teams to to use techniques where you Imagine where this product will be in three, three months' time with your stakeholders and then co-creatively build the path forwards. Storyboarding, great way to visualize the, uh, the customer's experience, the user experience, and identifiers for improvement. Product failures, so studying where they leave, so the churn, if you're using software, for example. The, the churn rates, which, which features they stop using the product at or where their journey ends. That can be a great place to narrow in and identify at which point of this journey is there a struggle. At which point are people getting turned off? It can be a great way of creating stories. And then the team themselves. Yeah, so just working with the team, collaborating with them, coming up with unexpected ideas, yeah, using hackathons and, and concepts like that. Just this unstructured, un-backlog-driven time period where periodically the team just come together and just solve problems together. Or, or just say, how could we... How can we make the life, customer's life easier in this, this next sprint? And just getting their ideas from there. So good 12 ideas for sources of user stories by Vibor Chandel. 
I'm conscious of time, folks. It's been a bit of an interesting one. Uh, I'm very keen to hear on your thoughts of this format. It's basically just me, been me chatting away, talking through LinkedIn, what I'm seeing on the fly and uh, adding my additional thoughts to it. If you have enjoyed this, let me know. I will probably do another one again in the future, if so. And always looking for guests to appear on the show. So if you'd like to have a chat with me about anything Agile related, then feel free to reach out. You are always welcome. Of course, don't forget to like or subscribe if you enjoy the show. It's a great way to remain abreast of the latest episodes. And as always, folks, don't stop believing. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.